It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Yes, I'm Mary Walter sitting in the seat for Brian Kilmeade. So happy to be with you. Coming up later this hour, we're going to be joined by Rich Lowry from National Review. I'm going to talk to him about, uh, you know, equity and your kids and the war on the gifted kids because the gifted and talented kids, oh, you can't get too far ahead. So we got to bring them down because we all have to be exactly the same and how people are fighting back against the insanity of it all. And it truly is insanity. We're starting off, though, with a familiar voice, Liz Peake. She's a Fox News contributor, columnist for foxnews.com and The Hill. Find her on Twitter at Liz Peake, P-E-E-K. Liz, thank you for joining me. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, there's so much to talk to you about, Liz. I, I don't know how much. We're just going to keep you for, you know, like a good hour, okay? <laughs> we're just going to bump Rich and we're keeping you. And we won't you. even scratch the surface. <laughs> Uh, all right, so so lots to get to. I, I want to talk about something that Nancy Pelosi had uh, said regarding the um, the IRS wanting to look into bank transactions, and I've seen some some of the lefties on social media saying, "Well, if it's it's about stopping crimes, if you have nothing to hide, then 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 what does it matter? It does it doesn't matter at all, you know. Like, if, why what does it matter if you're if you're depositing or taking six hundred dollars out of your account? I want to clear something up though. It's not only Six hundred. Is it? Well, let me ask you. Is it only transactions worth six hundred dollars or more? I believe so. Yes. Okay. It. What about? I thought it also said that if you and this applies to anyone who has six hundred dollars cumulative in like checking and that type of thing. Is that true? Well, I think I think the answer is they're trying to uh, identify people of means by looking at people who have transactions of over $600. But of course, that's preposterous because I think I've, I've seen numbers saying that would snag 85 to 90 percent of the people who have bank accounts. I, I honestly don't know what they're thinking. This is such a massive intrusion into people's personal uh, lives, and, and there's no real excuse for it. That just because you're writing a $600 rent check doesn't really mean you're cheating on your taxes. So frankly, Frankly, Mary, I don't think the federal government has the capacity, the IRS has the capacity to monitor the trillions and trillions of dollars of transactions that this would uh, incorporate. I mean, that would be an unbelievable undertaking. So I don't really know what the point of this is. I think it's just sort of, you know, another uh, sort of virtue signaling or whatever you want to call it from the left that, oh, my gosh, you know, we are really going to crack down on people who have money, and here's how we're going to go about it. But, of course, the irony is here, uh, and I've talked to people about this, and there's some uncertainty about it. What if what if you move your money into Bitcoin? Or, and, by the way, probably a lot of people would who have anything to hide. What if you have money market funds? Are they going to go into every investment account that people have across the country, other places where you can have a cash management account or something like that and write checks on that? I mean, you know, I think that when you have such an enormous power grab, and that's really what we're talking about here, uh, first of all, it makes people just edgy. I don't have anything to hide, but I don't particularly want the government knowing if I'm donating to a cause. Remember, we've seen right. in the past that they have uh, taken the opportunity, IRS has, to look at who's donating to various 
right-wing organizations, for example, or perhaps you're in favor of charter schools and the government decides that that's anti-government or whatever. This is wrong. Uh, I don't think it's going to go forward. Uh, it, it, ser- it serves no purpose. And as some people have said, it is. it, it sort of sounds like unreasonable se- search and seizure. And I think, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a tremendous backlash against it. Well, it also... I would assume, would would snag those people, for instance, who work for tips, people who are in the service industry who make less than minimum wage, but they got a lot of money in tips. Those tips, especially if you leave cash, are un, to, untaxed by the federal government, right? And sure, that's that's sure. kind of the deal they make with the devil in order to work for uh, less than minimum wage, right? They take a lower paying job, assuming that they can make more money in tips if they get a, a, a great gig in a really like high-end restaurant. They can pocket a lot of cash. What about strippers? I mean, are we not thinking about the strippers of America? <laughs> well, obviously, there's always been a huge underground economy, people who do work for cash. Uh, the law is you're supposed to report that income, right? Um, but everybody's pretty pretty clear that there's a wink-wink nod about people who are in cash businesses, uh, that not all of it does get reported. And, you know, uh, uh, clearly people who are here in the country illegally, and there are millions of them, they work largely for cash. So there is an underground economy that I, I don't I have not seen any recent numbers about what the tax loss from that is. It's probably pretty substantial. Yeah, I would, I would have to think it. If I take, let's say I take $1,000 out of the bank in cash because I'm going on vacation and I want to have the cash, am I, are they going to come to me and say, okay, what did you do with this $1,000? Now it's going to be up to me to say, well, I tipped the waitress in this restaurant 20 bucks, and yeah. I tipped uh, the, you know, the Uber driver this much money and I tipped the bellhop. And am, am I going to have to keep all of that paperwork now? Well, I don't, you know, the answer is, again, they have not nearly the resources to track down all of that stuff. And there's nothing illegal about you doing that. So I think what they're trying to flag is if you do that, let's say you take $1,000 out every single day, uh, then you're probably up to no good. There's probably some reason you're doing that, some cash transaction that you're trying to not report to the government. But look, I mean, all this is highly conjectural. Uh, I, I don't. I, I hope this won't go through. I think there's some talk about raising it to ten thousand dollars or some. I think now the number actually is ten thousand. If you take out ten thousand dollars in cash, that's flagged uh, by the government, and it doesn't mean that they're ever going to follow up with you. But you know, it's on their radar. And if they come around to sort of thinking that you're cheating on your taxes or you're you're paying people illegally off the books. That's when that could come uh, and bite you. I mean, a $600 thing is ridiculous. Yeah, that, it, it is really insane. And these people are like, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, you have nothing to hide. If you're yeah, hiding money, if you're not declaring money, you're breaking the law. I'm like, well, and, and let's, I mean, let's pursue that thought. If you're not, nothing to hide, you shouldn't care. Well, what about going, the government reviewing all of your personal emails? Okay, I don't want that. You don't want that. But if, if we have nothing to hide, why should we care? Because it's private. There's some, right. <laughs> you know, there's some point at which my business is my business and not the federal government's. I 100% agree with you. And these people, and I keep saying this all the time, I'm not a registered Republican. I've never been registered with a party. But I find that the left has pushed me so far to the right in the last 10 years or so. The more they push, the more of a power grab and more intrusive they get, the more I find myself pushing back. And I think you see that uh, around the country quite a bit. I was going to say, you're not alone. Yeah, 
and that's something else hopefully we'll have time to get into into with you. One thing um, I definitely want to get into, so I'm going to jump to this because I want to make sure we have time, is the Durham investigation. Yeah. And um, you, you had uh, on Maria Bartiromo's show on Sunday Morning, uh, Sunday Morning Futures, John Radcliffe, who was the former director of national intelligence, said that he has given what he called thousands of intelligence community documents. Uh, He turned those over, not just declassified documents, but thousands of intelligence community documents that he thinks supports additional charges that he expects John Durham to bring, saying that Michael Sussman is just the first. And I've heard a lot of people say the reason Sussman was um, was indicted now was because of a statute of limitations. Yeah, yeah. What are you hearing? Well, you know, I'm not hearing anything more than you are. I, I mean, I'm not really close to this investigation. But I think what we're seeing uh, is that there was just a very widespread conspiracy to drum up opposition research that could be used against President Trump. And and it involved an awful lot of high-profile people. I mean, what, what Durham has disappointed, I think, a lot of Republicans by not, uh, you know, arresting Jim Comey or somebody really high-profile or whatever. But I think he is very systematically bringing, bringing a case and building a case that there were just endless numbers of political operatives, some of whom like Jake Sullivan, the current uh, national security advisor in, in Joe Biden's White House, had some involvement with the people who were creating false information. And Jake Sullivan, maybe, uh, this is according to an article in Real Clear Investigations by Paul Sperry, maybe he lied to Congress about his knowledge of all of this. I think what we're going to find, Mary, is that people on the Clinton campaign roster, and there were thousands of them. Hillary Clinton had, you know, uh, to quote Mitt Romney, files and files of political operatives. All those people, the people in the uh, Obama administration and people now working for Joe Biden, vast number of people involved in creating a false narrative and a false story that really cost this country three years of anguish. And I And I really... When you just step back, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see how history records all of this, because it was a completely fake attack on a sitting president, a duly elected president. And nobody yet has apologized for that. The media hasn't said we were wrong, uh, even though we have a full-blown Mueller investigation and a Senate intelligence investigation that say all these ties that... Trump reportedly had with Russia were complete myths. They didn't exist. And and they were created out of thin air. By the way, when you read that Paul Sperry article, what is most unnerving to me is that the the operatives working on this, the researchers or contractors, they're called, they're called contractors, uh, are involved in cybersecurity. A lot of them are working again in the White House or have ties to the White House. They were uh, investigating non-public information. What is that information? What's out there that these political hacks could access that you and I can't access? Do they they have stuff on you, on me? What is this trove of information that they supposedly mined to develop this incredibly 
fake story about Donald Trump? I don't know the answer to that. It, it is very worrisome to me. And I'm glad you brought this this piece up by Paul Sperry, and I urge everyone. It's it's long, it is, but, but it's if you, good. If, yeah, it's really, really great. You, you mentioned, you know, James Comey and how people want to see. You mentioned Jake Sullivan, uh, closely connected to to the Hillary Clinton campaign. There are also a lot of these names that are in this piece are also very closely connected to the Obama administration, and some yeah. of them now work with the Biden administration. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. uh, here's the, here's one of the things I've noticed though, Jake Sullivan. Uh, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, James Comey, John Brennan, they're all very quiet. Yeah. When was the last time you heard James Comey be quiet? I mean, really? That man that man does nothing but talk about himself, right? It's all about him. I'm great. I'm a victim. I'm this. I'm that. I'm the moral high ground. I haven't heard anything from I have not seen James Comey or John Brennan on MSNBC or CNN lately. Where is everybody? Well, I'm not missing them, number one. But I would also say I think a lot of them have lawyered up. I, I may be wrong about this, but I think Jake Sullivan has hired a lawyer. That kind of tells you something, right? I think yes. I think a lot of these people are worried that this quiet, plodding, but very thorough investigation could wash up on their shores. And I really hope so. The problem is, Mary, you and I both know the American public has a pretty short attention span. Oh, when yeah. you go by, back to the Russia, 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 Russia story, you know, people's eyes glaze over it. They've kind of been there, done that. They've heard about it. And yeah. sadly, in our polarized nation, lines have been drawn. I doubt that there are many Americans who are willing to listen to new information about an old scandal that might hurt their team. In other words, if you're a Democrat, you know, are you really going to pay much attention to this? I doubt it. I do think there is a group, large group, and, and maybe growing group of independents in our country whose ears are open, who actually, they care about the Hunter Biden story and his laptop that had all these terrible, uh, that could lead you to terrible uh, conclusions about the Joe Biden, Hunter Biden business affairs in corrupt countries. I, I think their ears are open, but again, time marches on. And mm-hmm. I, I do admire what Durham is doing. I hope now Merritt Garland is also kind of compromised. There are, there are yes. um, family members who are somewhat uh, involved in all of this Russia narrative story. I think if he shuts down this Durham investigation, there will be hell to pay, because I think that would be uh, cause for you know, a serious national outrage. At least half the country would be up in arms. Yeah, and and Liz, I wish we had more time with you because I would love to see that. But whenever you tell me I'm, re- I'm, you know, I'm dependent upon the Republicans for some kind of outrage, I go okay, because well, it's not going to happen. Write they don't them have off. a fire. I mean, they Republicans elected Trump. Uh, they tried to reelect him. Um, I think. I think you know. Look, I, I think that they, considering. The vast power of all the forces arrayed against the right, the media, the, the uh, academia, um, the, even the high brass in the Pentagon now, our intelligence leadership, all these different groups that basically are out to pervert, in my view, the national awareness and consciousness about what's going on in the world. You know, frankly, I think we're doing pretty well to hold our own. It's not easy. Right. Right. It isn't. Uh, Liz Peake, I wish we had more time with you. There were so many other things I wanted to touch on with you. But thank you so much. I, I know we're in, a, we're in a bit of a time crunch here. You are a very popular woman and have to run. So thank you so much for the time that you were able to give me this morning. Hey, I enjoyed it. We'll do it again.
All right. More coming up on this piece by Paul Sperry in Real Clear Investigations. Uh, this is super interesting. As I said, it's a really, it's a very long article. So I can only, I'm just going to, you know, I kind of highlighted the, the you know, the, the bullet points. So I'll go through that with you. And then coming up, we're going to speak with Rich Lowry from the National Review on the, uh, some of the talented and gifted programs and some of the things happening with your kids, uh, especially in school. And does that bring everybody together? Because when it comes to your kids, it doesn't matter whether you're Democrat, Republican, independent, socialist, whatever, you're talking about your kids now. And I think that draws people together as parents and whether that is going to be a problem for the left. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I expected and said there would be indictments forthcoming. You know, Michael Sussman's is the first of what I would hope would be a number based on the fact, you know, I provided not just those declassified documents, but I provided a thousand intelligence community documents that I think support additional uh, charges that I would expect John Durham to bring. That was the former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, on with Maria Bartiromo on Sunday Morning Futures, uh, discussing the tip of the iceberg. Uh, he seems to feel that um, Michael Sussman, as you heard him say, is just the first of a number of what he would hope would be indictments. And we were just speaking with Liz Peak, saying that, you know, there, there's probably more coming. That's what we keep hearing from Durham's investigation and this piece in real clear investigations talks about and, and lists a whole bunch of different people. Now, one we know, according to sources telling Paul Sperry at real clear investigations, one of them is a contractor named Rodney Jaffe, who uh, has ties to not only the Clinton campaign, but to Perkins Coie, to the Biden administration and to the Obama administration. He has left his uh, job uh, where he was currently working at New Star Inc., and he has a lawyer now as well. So just watch who's quiet. I think you watch who's quiet. Who's not talking if you want to know where Durham is. Coming up, Rich Lowry from National Review joining us here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Jason in the house, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walters sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Joining us now, Rich Lowry, the editor of National Review. He is also the author of The Case for Nationalism. You can follow him on Twitter at Rich Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. There's no E in there. I've made that mistake before. Rich, thank you for joining me. Hey, how's it going? Great. I'm having a great morning. Get to talk to you. Um, I wanted to start off talking to you about something that happened on uh, CNN on Tuesday on Cuomo primetime. I don't know if you heard this, but for people who did not hear it, Van Jones was on with Chris Cuomo and uh, Van Jones being a political commentator now. And every now and then Van Jones wanders into the truth. Like he kind of just walks into it every now and then. And he's kind of becoming a little bit like Bill Maher, in my opinion, is that he's starting to say the quiet part out loud. Here's what he had to say regarding President Biden and his popularity. I think that right now, um, you know, the honeymoon's over. Uh, there was a moment where it's like Trump, you know, goodbye, Trump. Hello, vaccines. We're so glad to see you, Joe Biden. That's kind of how this year started. The problem is that he uh, put himself in a position where he made big, bold claims about the rest of the agenda. You think this great stuff that we did is good? It's nothing. Wait until this summer when you're going to get all this other stuff. And then he steps on a rake, and then he slips on a banana peel, and then he falls down the stairs with some marbles. And now people are looking at him in a negative light. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of misstepping between the rake and the marbles and the the, the stairs. And the banana peel. (laughs) And Van actually, I I know him just a very, very little bit, is a a really smart guy and an independent thinker, you know, obviously a a big time progressive, but is willing to acknowledge reality when it's staring him in the face, which is what we see here. Joe Biden was a default president. Uh, He's no one ever in his 40, 50 year career in Washington looked at him and said, that's the guy that needs to be president of the United States. That's the leader we need. And he now has just been exposed for basically the enfeebled mediocrity that he is. And I think a lot of Democrats are, are realizing it, too. And that's behind kind of this, this freak out, you see. There's been a spate of stories all over the political press on how worried Democrats are about the state of the party at the moment. And, you know, they don't need to do anything except for look at the latest polling, which is, um, you know, there's one or two that has Biden near 50. But most have them in the mid 40s and totally in the tank among independents. So let me ask if you if it's true that the vast majority in Washington, D.C. saw him for the mediocrity that he is. How did we get here? How did they not see this coming? Yeah, well, they there was a lot of wish casting. So the first six months or so, you had you know Biden met with these historians, and and the historians were saying what they always say when there's a Democratic president in the White House: "You can be the next FDR and LBJ." And Biden's like, "I can, yes, I can." And then the press was running all these stories about, oh, you know, he'd spent a hell of a lot of money in that first COVID bill, you know, 1.9, with a lot more money on the way. Like, look at this historic transformational achievements. And it was never going to happen, one, because he's, he's not a politician on par, you know, even if you don't like FDR or LBJ, and I don't. These 
were giants in terms of their their political skills, and also they had they had huge congressional majorities. FDR comes in with a 200 house, a 200 seat majority in the House, 58 senators in 1932. First midterm, it goes up. Republicans are down to 89. It's just astonishing, 89 uh, House seats, and I think it was like 16 or something Senate seats. So yeah, when the opposition has been vaporized, you're going to get to do what you want, and that's what FDR did. And of course, Biden has a 50-50 tie in the Senate with two relatively moderate Democratic senators who are not willing to get on board all the stuff, Cinema and Mansion, and then they have what? Else? you know, five-seat majority in the House. So it's going to be really hard to pass anything. And that's that's what they're finding out now. Do you think there are more Democrats that are not on board with it besides Manchin and Cinema? that maybe they're just the vocal ones? Yeah, I, I think they're, they're folks who have qualms, especially when it comes to, to like the filibuster. We always hear about Manchin and Cinema are opposed to changing the filibuster, but it push comes to shove. There are probably five other Democrats that don't want to do that either. They just don't want to... Um, peek their heads up above the parapet. But there are um, aspects of the reconciliation bill that various Democrats don't like, whether it's the spending priorities or the taxes. But at the end of the day, they'd, they'd vote for it. And that's what makes cinema and mansion different. And I've just gone, I've yinged and yanged. You know, I, at times I thought, all right, it's a 40 percent chance the reconciliation bill goes down. Other times, like, they're so close, it's like a 10 percent chance. I was at 10 percent, you know, a week or two ago. Now, now I'm back up again. <laughs> you know, it really, they, they have so many divisions, you know, not just between mansion and San, Sanders who are having a feud, but cinema and mansion have different views uh, how the bill should be paid for and, and what priorities are important in it. So, if, if Terry McAuliffe loses in Virginia um, and, there, and there's some other problem for Biden, you know, empty store shelves around Christmas, and he, he takes another um, fall, you know, steps on another rake, as Van Jones is putting it, you know, they could have a real real trouble passing this bill at all, which, which would be another enormous blow to them. So, so I don't know if you know this, but just, you know, just, just – Put, you know, guess, put on your, your, your prognosticator's cap. And where do you see this going? Kamala Harris, they're try- clearly trying to revamp her image, and that is just spectacularly failing as well, which I'm so shocked that the Democrats are failing in all this because they're usually so good on the messaging. They're masters of the message, and they can't seem to get it right with Biden and Harris. So, I mean, they can't put her in the seat because she's even more unpopular than Joe Biden because not only is she inept and incapable, but she's unpopular. She's unlikable. At least Biden, you, you get a good laugh at him every now and then. So she's not even good entertainment value. What do they do? Well, so let's say Biden for some reason can't run again uh, in, in 2024. I think it's going to be hard for them not to nominate Kamala Harris, you know, given how woke the party is. And this is the, the first person of color who's, who's been uh, vice president, um, first woman. So it's going to be really hard. But she's a terrible politician. She's just awful. There's nothing that she's done that's worked over the last year. There's a reason that she flamed out really early in the primaries with yes. three, you know 3% support in the national polls. She's not likable. She's not charming. She's fake and um, a bungler, and she can't keep her staff happy, and her, her people are, always have huge morale problems. So you add that all up, and, and he's, he's not getting any, any help from her, and the party's not getting any, any help from her, from her, and the party's not going to be able to puff her into something she's not. Yeah, so I, I just – because I'm, I'm, I'm just playing this out down the road because I think we kind of all know that Trump's going to run, which – 
I don't know how thrilled I am about that. I like him. I just, and so they're like, oh, well, we'll put Trump up against a woman. Learning nothing from 2016, he beat Hillary Clinton. They thought having Mm -hmm. a woman up was going to, you know, inoculate them against any kind of criticism. And Trump just blew right through it, didn't care. And, and, and attacked her on her policies and didn't say a word about her being a woman. He's very smart that way. He's going to do the same thing with Harris. She can't stand up to him in any kind of debate. So I, I don't understand where this is a winning strategy at all for the Democrats. And it just absolutely fascinates the living daylights out of me. I, I don't. Understand. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just a, they're just in a bad spot. They, they elected a guy who's not, you know, not really up for the job. Um, and it, because he was better than you know the the other candidates, you know he's running against the the mayor of South Bend. You know Pete Buttigieg. You know ha- had him up. There, there just there wasn't um, and and a, and a honest to goodness self avowed socialist. You know so they so they went to to Biden as what they thought was a flight uh, to safety. It it worked in the the general. They convinced themselves it was going to create an enormous benefits here, and it, and it just hasn't. And um, you know, it's hard to see yeah. how they they get out of the the, the box. And um, you know, the best case for Biden was that he, as as Van Jones was saying in that again in that initial clip, as he comes in, he got the vaccine. The vaccine crushes the the pandemic. The economy is recovering and roars back to robust health. And he just he's in the slipstream of those positive developments and just rides rides the wave. So it turned out that the vaccines did not crush the pandemic, um, at least not initially with the Delta surge, and the economy still has enormous problems. These supply chain issues are, you know, they could be the equivalent of 1970s gas lines, which which so undercut Jimmy Carter and so hurt Jimmy Carter. So he's just in a very bad place. And, you know, maybe there's some event we can't foresee that boosts him. Maybe they do get the reconciliation bill and and he can have a big signing ceremony and and that boosts him a little bit. But I just think they're in a, in a, a bad spot and it's hard to see how it gets much better. Yeah, and since you brought up Pete Buttigieg, shout out for the great job he's doing at our ports. So, um, you know, <laughs> way to go. Way to go there, Mayor Pete. Um, you have, I want to get to this, you have an excellent piece in the National Review about how it's time for sane people to fight back against the lunacy and, and talking about the attack on parents. This is one of those things in the vein of what we were just talking about, you know, with with COVID and the budget and, and the malaise that seems to be hitting this country. It's like Jimmy Carter all over again. And I, I think when you start going after parents, when parents are fighting for their children, you make strange bedfellows you, because that cuts across mm-hmm. uh, race. It cuts across religion. It cuts across any one of the 47 genders. It, it cuts across ideologies, everything when you're defending your children. And everyone is now seeing this video that's coming out from something that happened in June in Ashburn, Virginia, where they took this father to the ground. We now find out he was fighting for his daughter, who there is actually an investigation we now know into an alleged attack on his daughter by a boy who identified as a girl in the women's restroom in a school in that county. I I just don't think that this is a winning issue for the left by seeking, by seeking, excuse me, the FBI on these parents and treating them as domestic terrorists. No, and and you're right about CRT is an issue that crosses lines. uh, My my little community here, I was talking to some some folks who are 
uh, upstart Republicans who are running for the the school board, and they just say they're they're, they're certain people. They're, a lot of them are Republicans, but not all. And the, just the one thing they ask when they're out handing out material, you know, pro or anti CRT, and they say anti, we're with you. You know, we'll call, crawl over glass, the broken glass, to vote for you. So it's a really powerful issue, and and this is sort of the play the left has had. It's what they did with the Tea Party too. What they yes. initially say is this is fake. You know, this is all um, uh, astroturf. This isn't. A a real uh, grassroots campaign is funded by the Kochs or whatever, and then they turn around and say, oh, no, it's very real, and it's threatening, and it's domestic terrorism, and it has to be suppressed, or at least um, people engaged in it have to be intimidated. And it's uh, it's an outrage, and we'll, we'll see if I mentioned Terry McAuliffe earlier. If he loses, this is going to be a big reason why. You know, he said in a debate that parents shouldn't be involved in, the, in curriculum decisions in schools. Obvious gaffe. He doubled down on it in a subsequent interview. He said CRT is fake. You know, it doesn't really exist, and the campaign against it is a racist dog whistle. That uh, uh, Virginia is kind of a tough state now for Republicans, but I would not be shocked um, if McAuliffe goes down now. Well, I will tell you on a side note, Terry McAuliffe, long ago and far away in, a green, in the green room at Fox for uh, Hannity, he was on before me, and he told me once that elections are won and lost on name recognition. So hmm. he probably he's, feels he's very secure in his name recognition. Guy. And, uh, you know, used to at least call himself the Macker, you know, and hung out with Bill, Bill Clinton playing hearts uh, on, on airplanes. Uh, and and as, a, as a political talent, but is th- there's you know maybe he's gotten just gotten a little uh, a little old, a little out of touch. But w- what he said about the schools is just uh, besides just being wrong uh, in, in uh, on every level is political malpractice, and um, it might not end well for him. Yeah, I think I think the, the what the left is doing right now is unwittingly putting groups together that they've worked so hard to divide. You see Black Lives Matter marching two weekends ago in New York City against vaccine mandates. That's not something that I mm-hmm. think the the left counted on. Uh, that's oh, yeah. their ally. And so you're you're seeing people with MAGA hats on marching next to a Black Lives Matter person against vaccine mandates. That can't happen for the left because I think that that really hurts them and their agenda. Rich Lowry, thank you so much for joining me on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Really appreciate the conversation. His book is The Case for Nationalism. You can follow him on Twitter at Rich Lowry. Thank you. Thanks so much. Have a great morning. Thank you. Uh, 866-408-7669 is the number. You want to jump in on anything we've talked about so far? 866-408-7669. I think you start to see the left and the right come together on certain things, uh, vaccine mandates, schools, critical race theory, that type of thing. And the left's agenda falls apart pretty quickly because they can't have that. They've They've spent decades dividing us. And just a couple of quick issues can bring us all back together. Your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade, 866-408-7669. You've got Democrats uh, making strange bedfellows. 
regarding the COVID vaccine, the mandatory vaccine, and also regarding critical race theory and, and the issue of, you know, mixed bathrooms and schools and that type and, and those things when you're coming after people's kids and forcing certain things on the kids like mandates, like critical race theory, uh, especially when someone like Bill de Blasio, you know, he's he's t- getting rid of the gifted and talented program for kids but his kids benefited from it uh when they got into junior high they did not they weren't enrolled in grade school but when they got older they benefited from it you know they 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 see that hypocrisy and it go it's going to go from an all-day program to one or two periods a day and they'll be mixed in with everybody because you know equity we can't have somebody getting more attention than somebody else everybody has to be equally dumb and equally poor and equally miserable uh, you know, regarding the COVID vaccine, you've got um, some basketball players now saying, you know, I don't want to take this. You've got Kyrie Irving, uh, who's not going to play or practice with the team until he's eligible to become a full participant. They said we're not going to have a part time player because he can't play in cities that require everyone to be vaccinated. But yet across American people are smart. They see it coming across our southern border hordes of people who we have no, they're not tested for covid they're not forced to get the vaccine they're, we and we put them on planes unvaccinated Mayorkas even admitted a couple of weeks ago that about up to 20% of them have active covid cases when they come into the country and we put them on a plane we pay for it or a bus with with Americans and ship them anywhere they want to go in the country but there's no penalties for them we're opening up the border now but anyone coming across legally from Canada or Mexico now have to present vaccination papers, prove that they're vaccinated. But if you go to the border in Arizona or Texas and go, Hey, just passing through and you walk into the country, you don't need any of that. And Americans see that. And I think the Democrats are making a huge mistake with all of this. Very quickly, William on WTRC in South Bend, Indiana. William, we have about a minute and a half. Go. Hi. (laughs) Mary, thanks for taking the call. A couple of things. Um, I'm not sure what the woman's name was that uh, you were interviewing uh, about uh, seven, ten minutes ago. Um, but she made a comment that if you had this investigation on the Trump-Russia uh, probe, that probably half the Americans would go crazy. And, and you're probably right, or she's probably right. It really doesn't make a difference because everything they've done doesn't make a difference. They've gone ahead and done everything. And there's no repercussions to them. Yep. It's it's just amazing that they can continue to do this and have nothing that they have to face after the fact. Yep, you're you're a hundred. You're absolutely right. And I hate to do this to you, William, but I, I got to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Um, I apologize for that. But that was Liz Peak, and. We're talking about the piece in Real Clear uh, Investigations by Paul Sperry. Again, I urge you to read it. And uh, talking about how, yeah, we can make a stink, but none of them are going to jail. I don't expect to see Hillary Clinton in jail. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walters sitting in the seat for Brian Kilmeade, like Frank just told you there. I want to talk to you uh, about some polls and some things that I see are kind of a perfect storm against the current administration. 
Let's look at supply chain, shall we? Let's let's look at that. I'm sure if you've gone to a grocery store lately that you have noticed that there are certain things that you can't get. I went to the grocery store probably about two weeks ago and I couldn't get Brussels sprouts, which I thought was odd. I didn't think Brussels sprouts was a big fan favorite. And so I said, oh, I must be missing them. Now I could get the organic like $18 a pound Brussels sprouts. I wanted the Brussels sprouts for the cheap people. That's what I wanted. And I couldn't get them. So I even found a guy who works in produce and um, he said, oh, well, we, we haven't gotten a shipment in. We, we're expecting one today or tomorrow. I'm like, what? What do you mean? It's just weird. I, I've never come. And this is where my being a privileged American comes into play here because food shortages or not being able to get certain things when you go to the store in other countries is probably an everyday occurrence. They're used to that. Whereas here in America, we're like, how is this happening? This doesn't happen in America. We're not used to this. So I think we notice it. That's one of those things that we're like, huh. I uh, was at the grocery store yesterday, two days ago, and I needed, we had a friend coming over for dinner, so I had to pick up some half and half. And I just wanted one of those little containers of half and half. There was none. There was no, there was no like cream. There was no half and half. I could get every flavor of creamer known to man. I could get a gallon of milk. I wanted one of the little things of creamer because I did not have an entire army division coming over for coffee and we're never going to go through it. And it would be a waste. I didn't even know if they were going to stay for coffee, which ultimately they did not. But my husband wound up having to go to another store, couldn't get the small things. So we have like a semi-large container of cream, half and half. And of course they didn't stay for coffee. So bottom line is now I have this creamer that I can't, but we had to go to two different stores to try to get it. Uh, when I was checking out at the grocery store, it was like Hunger Games. There were four, they only have four self-checkouts, which I refuse to do because I'm not working in a store until someone reviews the vacation policy with me. And no one talked to the vacation policy, talked to me about the vacation policy. So I assume that I don't work there. So I shouldn't have to assume one of the jobs in order to give them my money. I shouldn't have to work and pay them. That shouldn't be. So, uh, but they were all backed up. And because, you know, you got people using these things. There's constantly somebody running around, taking the machine apart, trying to fix the problem. I, I can't. I kid you not. They had four cashiers. This store, if if you live in the Northeast, it was a ShopRite superstore. This thing is the size of a football field. It's huge. It's just, just huge. The store is huge. 20 minutes in line before I got to put my stuff on the conveyor belt. Four cashiers. At one point, someone came by from, from the store because people are rumbling. I'm like, oh, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly. And uh, and he, he comes by and he goes, I'm really sorry for the wait, everyone, but nobody wants to work. Just flat out said, nobody wants to work. And that's it. And we all understood what he meant. And so people are talking back and forth and everyone, now I'm in New Jersey and we have a gubernatorial election coming up when we've got Murphy, what a prince he is. We got him who, you know, he's like every other Democrat who, you know, makes these edicts that your two-year-old kid has to wear a mask in preschool, yet he's at indoor events maskless, you know, because rules for thee, not for me. And, and he's going to get reelected. 
but everyone was talking about Murphy. Why is he paying people to stay home? What's happening? And one guy said, well, you know, it's an election year. He's buying votes. That's what's happening. And this conversation's going across lines because when you stand next to people and in line with people for a good 20 minutes and you're all unhappy and disgruntled, people start to talk. Um, And I think all of this comes together and hurts the administration. We look at not being able to get, you know, gifts are telling you now, buy now for Christmas because you're not going to be able to get your gifts delivered in time. People are like, what? How is this happening? It's sitting out there in the ocean. Why can't you get it to my door anymore? What happened? None of us remember this in our lifetime. Here's Jen Psaki when she was asked about this uh, in yesterday at the White House. Are we behind the curve? Is the president behind the curve rather than trying to get in front of this issue? He's been working on these issues for months. I mean, I know it's been up in front in the news in the last few weeks, but uh, these are issues the president's been focused on since he took office, uh, and that's why he has a dedicated team, both in the NEC, in the Department of Treasury, across the interagency to help address these issues. It's a fundamental challenge as the economy is turning back on and one he's been focused on from the first day. So he's got a team. They've been working on it. But if you watch The Five last night, Dana Perina noted that this team got together, I think it was in March, and they put out one report in either June or July. I forget which one she said, but it was a J month. It was this summer. Uh, and that's it. So they put a report out. I don't think it should be this hard. And part of the problem is we don't have enough truck drivers because nobody wants to work because we've been paying them to stay home. And shockingly, when you pay people to stay home, they do. So, you know, Pete Buttigieg is on the case. Now, that was Edward Lawrence who asked that question. And um, there was an uh, Pete Buttigieg took an off-camera gaggle, press gaggle, off-camera at the White House and today. And Edward asked him, if you get the ports to work 24-7, won't the containers just back up further at the docks because there's not enough truck drivers to carry them into the country? Smart question, Edward. And Buttigieg says that he thinks the opening of ports in um, uh, in California 24-7 will allow truck drivers to take loads in the very early hours. And because the roads would be more open, the truck drivers will be able to come back for a second load. And he thinks that will help eliminate the problem eventually. He thinks. But I'm pretty sure he doesn't know. 866-408-7669. I said the goal is to get more truck drivers on the roads and that's going to take time. Why is that going to take time? I don't understand why that's going to take time. Apparently the uh, turnover rate in the trucking industry is 90%. Um, there's a, but there, but there is a 90% retention rate once they, if, you know, once they get into a, a, a gig. Part of the problem too is the mandatory vaccines with people walking off the jobs. I don't know. Maybe we should follow the science and look at the efficacy of the vaccines versus natural immunity. Maybe those are things or let people make their own choice. They're sitting in their trucks alone. But do all of these things, is this one of those things along with the vaccine mandates, along with critical race theory in schools, the parents being targeted as domestic terrorists if they dare question what their children are learning in school? Does all of that spell disaster for this administration? And what happens? You get Biden out. Okay, well, then you get Harris. Now what? 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669 is my number. Let's go to North Carolina. Jeff, you're on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jeff. Hi, 
Good morning. I, I, I'm, I'm finding your uh, your diatribe this morning very interesting. And when you talked about the BML and MAGA hats being together, there's always been groups of Americans that have always came together when they thought that things were going against their their rights or just just moral reasons. Mm-hmm. So I don't find that uh, uh, you know mind blowing because even in the be- in the beginning of the country. Um, that has happened. So what I'm trying to say is that the division is between liberals and conservatives. Now, we've always had two major groups, predominantly for the history of this country. And conservatives, to me, are people that follow the law no matter what the law is. It could be slavery or let's just say we had to get vaccine mandates. Let's just say I won't, I'll keep the vaccine out of it. Be it slavery or be something good, conservatives say follow the law. And then there are the liberals who would say, that is not right, we're not going to follow that law, and we have to do something better. I think conservatives are 100% with the law, basically for the, most of the history of this country. And my grandmother told me one thing. When you tell half the truth, you're telling a lie. And I laughed as, a, as an African-American whose family has been here for hundreds of years when they say the Republicans treat the slaves, which is true, but you're only telling half the truth. The Republicans were the liberals back then. And when blacks got the right to vote, we almost 100% voted Republican. There's a reason why the Civil Rights Act is why we don't do it anymore. So when you tell the truth, say the say, say it. Both groups have been Republican, have been conservative liberals throughout the history of this country. Don't tell half the truth, because then you're telling a lie. And, and, and I, I know you're educated enough, and more people are educated enough, to tell the doggone truth, 100%. Both groups, depending on what time you look in history, have been both conservative and liberal. And the Republicans were the liberals, and blacks, we were Okay. Dedicated to the to the Republican Party until the nineteen sixty. Okay, uh, uh, okay, all right. I, I don't like to put people labels on people because then there's liberals and then there's progressives and there's proud socialists and Black Lives Matter founders trained Marxists. Uh, you have ultra conservative people in this country. You have more centrist. You have people who are socially liberal but fiscally conservative. So there's a lot of different groups. So just to 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 you know group people into just two groups: liberal and conservative. And say they always did this or they always did that. And then they switched. Um, I I think that's a a huge oversimplification of the problem. My question is, though, with the way things are going now and the way people are being targeted and and people are finding more common ground, because I think our country is more divided than it was before the Civil War. That's where I think we are right now um, or as divided as we were before the Civil War is what's happening now with targeting parents who are concerned about what their children are learning in school, whether they're liberal, conservative, black, white, independent, Marxist, green, purple, whatever, does that bring those groups together and and bring us together, which I think is a good thing. Uh, insisting that if you can't feed your family, you know, like if you, and you'll you'll succumb to getting a vaccine that you don't want, but we're going to let illegal immigrants into your city with no vaccine. They don't need one. Those types of issues are, are maybe unwittingly driving us together when there are some groups in the country that would rather have us be divided because it's easier to manipulate a divided populace than it is uh, a united one. Hey, once again, I, I think that you, you I, I agree with 50 percent of what you just said. I think that once again, um, when you talk about those issues like the immigrants and stuff like that, Remember, in the beginning of this country, the only people that mattered was whites when it came to voting. So they've always been divided. The other people didn't matter. 
according to the Constitution, we didn't matter. It was it, right, it was and a, we fought a, an entire war, one. and a lot of white people died to right, right. that wrong. Right, liberals did. I don't care if they, and and they were Republicans. They weren't don't Democrats. Say, I mean, who cares? Take, who cares the no, if they were liberal or conservative? Care. You keep saying tell the truth. I, I I all I know is that a lot of white people and black people died to right a wrong in this country, and that's the story of this country, Jeff. And I I don't have more time. I'm sorry, but the story of this country is we recognize our faults and we right them. And I'm actually going to Gettysburg next week, and we just got finished watching that four-hour movie uh, on Gettysburg. And it's incredible how many people died to fight what they felt was a moral injustice in this country. And to go back and go, yes, but they were were, uh, liberals. Who cares? We can't keep going back to that stuff and saying, yes, but 150 years ago they were liberals. Who cares? The right was wronged. That's what matters. And that's the story of this country. And I think we get too caught up in well, whether they had a D or an R after their name and whether they were liberal at the time or conservative. That, to me, is, is, is I don't know. It just seems way off topic. I Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate your, your comments, Jeff. But I we think we got off topic. Coming back, let, let's talk about Nancy Pelosi. What Nancy Pelosi had to say to the... Um, to the press when it comes to their packaging of, of, or their, their messaging of these problems that the Democrats are having. Another part of this, where I think they're driving people together is this huge spending bill because they tell us that it costs nothing, which I think most Americans say, huh, pretty sure it's going to cost something. Yeah, there are far pe- people on one, you know, far, far to the left to say, no, it's going to cost nothing. But I think there's a lot of people, black, white, conservative, progressive, liberal, Marxist, whatever, of every color and every gender, that look at that and say, huh. So Nancy Pelosi is going to take a stab at explaining that next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Our latest CBS News poll shows that only about 10% of Americans describe themselves as knowing a lot of specific things that are in the reconciliation package and that the majority don't know anything at all. So do you think you need to do a better job at messaging and going forward, how do you sell this if ultimately you have to... Well, I think you all could do a better job of selling it, to be very frank with you, because every time I come here, I go through the list. It is hard to break through when you have such a comprehensive package yes the problem the problem <laughs> with with selling the budget why americans don't like it is because they don't know what's in it and nancy's like no the problem is you're not selling it for us really what do you think we pay you for people come on media what do you think we pay you for <laughs> you're not selling it for us okay but isn't it great to hear one of those reporters actually ask that question you know, what's going on, uh, you know, talking about um, Biden and uh, how, you know, he's just not doing well. There is uh, frustration among Biden. Black voters is at an all time high. And that's according to two different uh, projects, the Atlanta based black male voter project. And the other one is the New Georgia project saying, um, you know, it, everybody's kind of tired of Biden already. And that's not good. 
this early in his uh, in his presidency. Let's go to Eric in Jacksonville, Florida, listening on WOKV. Eric, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, Mary. I love when you uh, substitute. You're great, a great fill-in. Um, I just wanted to take a second to address Jeff. If he wants the truth, every Democrat voted against the Civil Rights Act. Al Gore's dad was one of them. But uh, you and I are both uh, Orwell fans. Um, he kind of predicted rules for radicals, and I believe the evidence is there that rules for radicals is in full bloom today, every page of it. I think this Pete Buttigieg is being told to delay getting the peers up because Ron DeSantis, my governor, Phil Murphy used to be my uh, would have been my governor, but I got out of there. He's just uh, Jim Florio 2.0. He's part yep. of the plan. They want this all to slow down. Ron DeSantis told the told all the ships, "Hey, come down here. We'll unload you all. We got truck drivers waiting to go." This is. If this isn't planned, these people are the most incompetent people ever on the planet because there's no way you can be screwing this all up. And maybe you have a different insight that could cheer me up a little bit. But <laughs> this is, this, I mean, your, your take. Okay, so Eric, your thing, and maybe it's the Jersey in us, is I have said the same thing, that there's no way they can be this incompetent. No way they're this incompetent. That I do think, I'm with you, that it's that it is, there's a reason why this is being done purposefully. But I think that it's backfiring. That's the ray of sunshine here, is that it's backfiring on the Democrats. It's not going the way they thought it was going to go. And I, and I have to say goodbye to you, Eric. Uh, we're we're going to run out of time here, but thank you for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. So, so I, I, here's the ray of sunshine. The pandemic which they're using, I think they've weaponized. Parents started to figure out what their kids are learning in school. They're not happy about it. Parents come together. What do they do? They start to get vocal about what their children are learning. What do the, what do the Democrats do? They call them domestic terrorists and say, we're going we're gonna to go after you. That doesn't work either. That's backfiring as well. A lot of their edicts are now backfiring. Americans are not putting up with it. And that's where I think the silver lining is. Oliver North coming up next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. Glad you're joining us. Also joining us, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. Uh, he is the number one best-selling author, and he has a new book out called We Didn't Fight for Socialism, Americans, Veterans Speak Up. Find him on Twitter at Oliver L. North. Lieutenant Colonel, thank you for joining us. It's, a, it's a, such a pleasure to have you here. It's such a great honor to be able to speak with you this morning. Thank you. Mary, it's a privilege to be on with you again on a different name show, but... Great to be with you. <laughs> yeah, I bounce around. <laughs> well, we all do. Let's, let's, let's start out talking. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's survival let's, in this business. Yeah. Uh, it's it so is. Let's talk about China to start off, because I do want to get to your book, because uh, I, I, it answers a question that I have had. So as all of this goes on and I see what's happening in this country, I really wonder what's going through the minds of the people who have fought so hard to preserve what we thought was the American way of life to see it being blown up. But China, you have a piece on OliverNorth.com um, where you talk about China and China's on a winning streak. And you talk about how Afghanistan and, and that proved Biden to be 
weak and undependable. But even without Afghanistan, didn't the Chinese already know that Biden was weak and undependable? He could have he could have followed President Trump's plan on Afghanistan and, you know, had a win and done it properly. But I think they still would have thought that he was weak. Well, uh, one of the things that we all ought to be very concerned about is why it is that this president, given good advice, now let's assume a couple of things. Let's assume that what we heard here in the House and and Senate Armed Services Committees and the ridiculous way in which they carried out their, their, quote, quest for information. Let's assume that what we heard from Mele, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, from the commander of Southern Command, uh, yes, uh, uh, Central Command, Mackenzie, and the Defense Secretary Austin. Let's assume for a moment that what they were doing is telling the truth, because they said they gave advice entirely different than what Biden did. In other words, they recommended keep to the president, keeping hold, uh, their hold on on Bagram, which is one of the finest military bases in the world and a very strategic asset. They recommend that they keep control of that, that we hold it until after every American, every green card holder, every single citizen, every single one of the SIVs, the special immigrant visa, uh, of the tens of thousands of them who helped us over the 20 years of this war, that after they were all out, then they would give up Bagram and we'd be given safe conduct out. All of that was ignored for a reason. We don't know what that reason is, the way they went about it is they asked a lot of questions, but only, remember, five-minute intervals. So they would give a five or four-and-a-half-minute question and never get the answer. Let's assume that what they were doing is getting themselves not into deeper hot water, but they were showing the world that for some reason Biden is taking different advice from somebody, and you got to ask yourself who it is and why it is, because Clearly, what he did is contrary to the advice that he got from his senior military leadership. So who is it and why? And i just put it very baldly. Never underestimate the awesome power of blackmail. You know, I don't believe that he's mentally competent, but clearly someone else is giving him contrary advice, and it would be good to know who is doing it, which is why I've recommended and formally did so in last week's column on creators, and on a telephone with several members of Congress, what we ought to be doing is convening a bipartisan joint commission with the subpoena authority, just like they had during Ronald Reagan's tenure. I know a little something about these kinds of commissions. <laughs> and this, is a, this is a necessity because, as you pointed out, our credibility was t- terribly battered by all this. Who is it and why is it? that Biden is get, is taking someone else's advice. And it's obviously not anybody who is called to testify. So I, I think this, the country needs it, not just for retribution, not just to find out, oh, gosh, uh, Joe's nuts, or Joe doesn't have the mental capacity to handle it. We need to find out who it is that gives him different advice that is so disastrous for the outcome of our national security, the lives of those that we depended on, We don't have to avenge the 2,500 who were killed or the 20,000-plus who were wounded. What we need to do is find out who it is that's giving him different advice and why they're doing it so that we don't repeat the terrible mistake. 
Well, you know, you talk about a bipartisan commission, and I, I'm just so over Congress investigating stuff in Washington, D.C., because it goes nowhere. Uh, it just goes nowhere. And you, you talk about bipartisan. The, the dichotomy between if this were Trump versus if this were Biden is just is so maddening, I, I think, t- to most people who are more conservative leaning. We're, these generals are some of the same that we know leaked information under Trump to the press. Why didn't if they're so concerned about this and they felt were felt so strongly about what Biden was doing, they thought it was, in, you know, in in the country's best interest in order to call up the Chinese and say, don't worry, we're not going to invade you. And if we do, I'll give you a heads up. Totally going around the the chain of command when it's Trump's the president. But they don't do the same thing to save American lives when Biden is the president. So, you know, I kind of wonder about their testimony and how, you know, truthful that really was and how concerned they really were because they weren't concerned enough to save American lives. But yet under Trump, they were so concerned that they were willing to risk their careers to save American lives because they're so noble. Well, look, at one of the things that you would get out of a presidential commission, you'd either get a perjury charge against these guys or you'd get the truth about what was really said. And the only, reason, the only way to do that, not just the only reason for doing it, but is the only way you're going to do that is giving that commission subpoena power over the transcripts of things like a 90-minute phone call with Xi Jinping. I mean, what was said during that long conversation in the aftermath of the, the terrible disaster of what transpired over the end of this so-called war? Because it was a war. I mean, I covered for it. Gosh, 66 embeds during the 19 years of the war. And I look at the outcome of it, and it's totally disastrous. So I go back once again. That commission has got to have the kind of subpoena power that the the Iran-Contra Commission had. They did get answers. They got the truth out. And the bottom line of it was Ronald Reagan was upheld as the commander-in-chief. Second, the Congress realized their terrible mistake and appropriated the money that was necessary to give the Contras a victory. And they did, because it was a Democratic outcome and the election of Violeta Chamorro. Yeah, I I just don't know if it's a different time. I look at these commissions, you know, and if we want to know what was on that phone call, why don't we just ask Alexander Vindman to tell us? You know, he had no problem doing that. When we we talk about these commissions, look at the January 6th commission. It's yeah. quote unquote bipartisan, but yet um, Mark Meadows was not allowed to put the people on the commission he wanted to put on. For the first time ever in the history of this country, the, the majority said, no, you can't have those people. We'll pick the people for all of it. So well, when you talk about a bipartisan commission, I, maybe I'm just super cynical by now, but I just go, mm, I don't have any faith in any of that. And, and I wonder if there are, you know, vets who feel the same way. Your book is asked the question, um, we didn't fight for socialism. Americans, veterans speak up. But when you talk about commissions, like we're talking about here, I wonder how many of them would feel the same way I do and go, yeah, but these are different times and it's happened so fast that they don't have faith in that system that they fought so hardly for. Well, no, I agree that there's a lot of that. And, and one, of the, one of the very obvious things, that the 500 military personnel and former military personnel in every rank, going from private all the way to three-star general, all of them are, are very, if you will, cynical about what's happening to the point where they're now telling their grandsons and granddaughters, don't serve. 
I mean, I've, I've got several of my 18 grandkids who ought to be in at least an ROTC scholarship, if not applying to a service academy. They're bright. They're beautiful in the case of the granddaughters. They're obviously the kind of people you want in the service. And they all look at who's governing and say, I can't do this. Well, here's my message to them. Number one, Biden, as if you're a senior in, in high school right now, Biden will not be president by the time you put gold butter bars on your shoulder as a second lieutenant or as an ensign. Number two, the country needs you. Number three, the way to solve these problems, not just for those who are coming up, going to be future officers in the U.S. Armed Forces. Number three, we've got to get the right people to run for office at every level. And look at what's happening right here in Virginia. You've got a, a statewide election right now. And the Washington Compost is full of, you know, mealy mouth comments about the, the race for governor. You know, Terry McAuliffe can walk on water. Terry McAuliffe was Bill Clinton's bag man. Glenn Youngkin is a conservative Republican. And God help us, if, if, if uh, McAuliffe gets back in, my dear wife, who you know owns the farm that I'm, I'm kept on, where I'm a kept man, my wife is talking about, let's move. Yeah. And I said, where are you going to go, honey? I mean, the Shenandoah River is only one place, and you can't leave it behind or take it with you if you move. She said, let's find out. Let's look at Oklahoma. No, I, I doubt seriously she's going to take me up on it because all our kids are right back here in Virginia now. The ideas of service to our country, selflessness, are now being mocked by our media. And the ideas of, of what they, you, they played that clip from, from John F. Kennedy you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Spot on. That's not happening anymore. And that's the no. far left, McAuliffe and company. Get out there. Here's, just, here's what you have to do. We need to get good people to run for office. We've got a bunch of them coming up for this, this election in November. And by the way, the polls are already open for early voting. Number two, you've got to get the right candidates to run. Number two, you've got to get the right people to be out there voting for what's going on and making sure that those issues come to the forefront in spite of things like the Washington Compost. Yeah. And when, ultimately, that's what we got to do and pray for our country. And and we're we're up against the clock. But one thing I want to say about that is that's great. But you know what? Barack Obama is going to be um, campaigning for yeah. for McAuliffe in Virginia. Stacey Abrams is going to be campaigning for McAuliffe in Virginia. Where are the national Republicans campaigning for Yunkin? They're uh, not there. No, you're right. Look at it. the National Republican Party is not doing anybody any favors. No. But we do have good candidates like Youngkin. Yeah, we need the and people to get out there and support them. That, that's that's my message to everybody: get yeah, out I've there s- and vote. Bring somebody else with you to the polls. At least in Virginia, you have to have a photo ID for crying out loud. Well, that's good because in other states, you know, you just throw it in a mailbox and hope for the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, the book is "We Didn't Fight for Socialist for Socialism: America's Veterans Speak Up." You can follow him, Oliver L. North, on Twitter. Thank you so much, and again, it was such a pleasure to speak with you again. Thank you. God bless you. Semper Fi and pray for America. Absolutely. God bless you too, sir. 866-408-7669. Your calls coming up next on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Five, four, command engine start. Two, one. That was the sound of William Shatner being shot into space. <laughs> You're the second manned uh, flight here. This, this is great. You know, I saw William Shatner yesterday. Uh, he was he was on Fox. All of the astronauts who were going up today uh, were were on Fox yesterday. And of course, having someone like William Shatner on board is huge publicity. And what is being done with this public-private partnership type thing, and you have these billionaires who are shooting people into space, uh, to, is good. Because I, I think we learn a lot from space, space exploration. A lot of our drugs, a lot of our foods, uh, some of the inventions have come from space exploration. So I think it's an important thing. And and we're, we're going to mess this planet up, so you might as well start looking for a new one now. But here's the thing. William Shatner's 90 years old. He's 90 years old. God bless him. I mean, can you imagine? And uh, they were saying yesterday, who was a George W. Uh, George H. W. Bush went skydiving for his 90th birthday. William Shatner being shot into space, which, by the way, I guess if you're 90 and you have the means to do it, if it all goes horribly awry, you know, like when I saw George H. W. jumping out of the plane, I'm like, if it all goes horribly wrong, he's not going to die young. 90 years old. God bless him, right? So good for them taking these chances. So yesterday on Fox, William Shatner was, was as I said, was in this interview with the other astronauts, and they asked him about being 90 and being shot into space. And I laughed out loud when I heard his response. The only thing about age that has an application to this particular vehicle is getting in and out of the seat with uh, any kind of arthritis. So if, unless uh, you're really supple, <laughs> getting in and out of these seats in weight and when we're on gravity is a chore. But of course, it's designed to float. That was hilarious. At least he's self-deprecating about the whole thing. I can't get out of the chair. I thought that was great. So they're going 66 miles into the air, which, by the way, I would just like to say, as we do this more, 66 miles into the air, okay, it's further than I'm ever going, you know, because I'm claustrophobic, so you're not getting me into that thing. But um, maybe we need a term for, like, the junior astronauts. You know what I mean? The JV, because you're not really like going up and circling planets and, and all that kind of stuff. So maybe the term astronauts being a little loosely applied right now. Just just saying. I quickly want to get to, a, and we'll keep you updated uh, throughout the show if there's any news on this. Let's quickly go to Cole in Virginia here. Uh, Cole, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. You 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 wanted to talk about the supply chain and the lack of truck drivers. Yes, and all actually, that? yeah. I, I was thinking that because um, actually uh, a friend of mine had kind of mentioned this uh, with a lot of people losing their jobs due to the COVID vaccine. Like it could be possible that because you know that that the shipping people can't process because they don't have workers, and it's not a matter of people not wanting to work because they're being paid to stay home, but more along the lines of a lack of 
being able to work because they are not vaccinated. That is a great point. You're seeing you're see, we're we're going to have we're going to have flight delays now. Look at what happened over the weekend with Southwest where, you know, and and their their boss came out and said, "Look, this mandatory vaccine thing is not my idea. This is coming from the federal government," which plays into the call that we had last half hour. Uh, that said, you know, hey, I wonder if they're doing this on purpose. How do they not know that when you pay people not to work and then when that ends, because finally you can't carry that gravy train anymore, you just say, okay, if you won't get this vaccine, then you're going to lose your job. And and people by the thousands are being laid off or fired, basically. And what happens? You get fired, you go back on unemployment. That puts more people onto the system. Are they really this incompetent? Or is it being done purposefully? And they're, 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 it's a balancing act with how much the American people are going to take. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. So glad to be with you here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yes, I am Mary Walter. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the COVID. Can we talk about the COVID? Uh there's some there's some interesting there's some interesting information that has come out about COVID, and I want to talk about it with someone who would know, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat, Fox News medical contributor, family and emergency medicine doctor. Find her on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. Dr. Neshwat, thank you so much for joining me on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Good morning, Mary. Always great to be with you. Good to be with you as well. So um, I had uh, just a couple of things, and I don't know if you've seen all these, but you know, we, we, set, we have people who are losing their livelihoods or being forced to take a vaccine that they don't want because they're, either they've had COVID, so they have natural immunity. And I, I, I know someone whose doctor told them, I, you don't need to get the vaccine. You have natural immunity. We now know that natural immunity carries as they follow people who had it in 2020, they still have the antibodies in 2021. They're, they're lasting for, for about a year. And he went up losing his job. We have other people who um, can't afford to lose their job and want to be able to feed their family and keep a roof over their heads. So they're getting a vaccine that they either don't want for religious reasons or um, have made that decision what's best for them and their family. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the antibodies and, and tell us about the antibodies that are acquired naturally versus the antibodies that are acquired through the vaccines. Isn't it true that those acquired naturally last longer than those acquired through the vaccines? That, that is an excellent question. Um, and Mary, I first want to say it, it's really heartbreaking. I hate to see anybody lose their job um, over this issue, over vaccination. And when it comes to antibodies, I, it really depends. If you have someone who had COVID and had maybe no symptoms or had very, very mild symptoms, of course, they're going to they're gonna develop some antibodies. But for them, for that person, you compare them to someone that's had three doses of, of, of the vaccine. The person that had three doses 
they might have stronger protection than someone who has natural uh, immunity from a very mild infection or an infection with no symptoms. Now, if you have someone that had moderate symptoms that was hospitalized with COVID, oh yeah, they are going to develop strong protection, strong immunity, and probably very high levels of antibody. And that can that can protect you against future infection. And that can absolutely be stronger than having uh, you know a, a, the vaccine. Um, but I think there might be a correlation with the extent of how severe your infection was um, versus, you know, the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So we have to take that into consideration. But absolutely, 100%, we must acknowledge, accept, and address natural immunity can protect you and does work. But the question is, how durable is it? Is it, how strong is it? You may have still have antibodies from natural infection a year later, but it, we know that it, it may not be as strong as, for example, six months prior. So the concern is um, is that is that the, the protection, the immunity, the antibodies wane over time. Um, and how do we know this for sure? How do we know how long it lasts? With time, time will tell us, and that's the thing. We're about two years into into this pandemic, so time will give us the information that we need. I tell my patients, if I have a patient that has COVID, I tell them, no, don't get vaccinated right now. I tell them, wait, you do not need to get vaccinated right away. I think in in the future, yes, they should get vaccinated, but not immediately because you do have that natural protection, and um, and that can definitely um, serve serve you in the community and help prevent. And spread to others. So um, why are why comes, uh-huh. why aren't we acknowledging that though? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Why, why are we not acknowledging natural immunity? Isn't that part of the science? The left keeps screaming. They're they're losing their minds over the science, but yet we ignore a huge part of the science, which is natural immunity. It doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. And the medical community isn't coming out and saying anything about natural immunity. You're 100% absolutely right. That's part of science. That's part of our immunity, our immune system, our adaptive and our innate immune system creates those natural antibodies. And that's just basic science 101. Um, and, And talking about it, discussing it, this is what we need to do to get the word out to spread the message. But it is important, though, um, if you have not had COVID, that you definitely should consider getting vaccinated because I can tell you um, right now, you know, with my patients, and I've taken care of thousands of of COVID patients, Mary, um, the majority of my patients who have to be hospitalized, the majority of patients that are really sick are the ones that have no vaccine Mm -hmm. and no natural immunity. And every one of my patients that tested positive after having COVID, which, I'm sorry, after having the vaccine, which is not a lot, all of them, their symptoms are very mild, and none of them had to be hospitalized for my patients. And that just tells you that the vaccine is is effective, it's safe, it works, and it's really a blessing to have ever since President Trump announced Operation Warp Speed, you know, back in in May of last year, and we were able to get these incredible effective vaccines that, that truly, and it's just so incredible to see how it's saving lives and how it's working. Because I remember from day one, you know, working here in mm-hmm. New York in the epicenter of the of the world at one point, people dying left and right. We had nothing. Yeah. We had no tools. And now we've got amazing vaccines. We've got antivirals coming out. We've got monoclonal anti- antibody therapy, which is really just a blessing. 
Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of that. Um, just uh, There's so many questions I have for you. There is a, a study that was done in the European Journal of Epidemiology, and uh, they studied data uh, worldwide, 68 countries that met the criteria for the study. And here's what they found. At the country level, there appears, the, and this is under the findings, this is a quote, at the country level, there appears to be no discernible relationship between percentage of population fully vaccinated and new COVID-19 cases in the last seven days. The trend line suggests a marginally positive association. Such countries with higher percentage of fully a population fully vaccinated have higher COVID-19 cases per 1 million. They talk about Israel. Notably, Israel, with over 60% of their population fully vaccinated, had the highest COVID-19 cases per 1 million people in the last seven days. In Iceland and Portugal, both countries have over 75% of their population fully vaccinated and have more COVID-19 cases per 1 million than countries like Vietnam and South Africa that have about 10% of their population fully vaccinated. So they're finding no correlation between the number of, no discernible correlation between the number of people vaccinated, percentage of people vaccinated, and the number of COVID-19 cases. What does that tell us? You know, it, it could tell me, just listening to what you just said in, in this study, that if people do get vaccinated, they feel more relaxed, they feel safe. It's important to understand, Mary, the vaccine does not prevent you from catching COVID. What it does is prevent you from dying, keep you off a ventilator, and keep you out of the hospital. Um, so you can still catch COVID, and probably those who are more vaccinated are going to be a little bit more relaxed than someone who isn't, maybe, maybe not. And so they're going to feel safe. And and you should be. You should feel safe to go out to dinner, to hang out with your friends and family who are vaccinated. But it is still possible to catch the uh, COVID. Um, The key is understanding that being vaccinated will minimize the severity of your symptoms, will shorten the duration of contagiousness, um, that window period. Um, And again, you know, try to prevent, for most people, severe complications. But can it prevent COVID? Um, No, that's what we initially thought, but not anymore. What about uh, hospitals? Uh, The first one was the University of Colorado in Aurora, and now the Cleveland Clinic saying we will not do uh, organ transplants on people who are unvaccinated, Uh, either the the donor, you know, for the live donations for like kidneys, the donor or the recipient. And they say it's because they're trying to keep people safe. And I'm like, but, you know, if these people... You see, you're going to deny them a life-saving procedure in order to keep them safe. Seems like a little bit of a disconnect for me. Yeah, that, that's, that's tough. That's really difficult. Here's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, you, If you're going to be uh, involved in that situation where you're going to have a transplant, you're going to be put on certain medications that are going to make you so vulnerable to infection. So like a cancer patient undergoing chemotherapy. So that's why they say you can't smoke, you can't drink, you have to have Mm -hmm. all your vaccinations, your measles, mumps, rubella. It's because we know firsthand that you are going to be frail, you're going to be vulnerable, and you're going to be immune suppressed because you have to take medicines that we know will suppress your immune system. Um, So it's it's difficult. It's tough. Uh, I think there should be alternatives and exemptions. Like, for example, if if the the donor already had COVID and they have antibodies, I can understand they don't want to get vaccinated right away. But the reasoning behind that is because of the severity of the, the, the entire process. It takes a toll on your body. It's a massive stress to your body to undergo this 
very complicated surgery for both the donor and the recipient. And the goal behind it, it should be to keep people alive and healthy and to make sure that that valuable, precious organ, um, you know, is, remains healthy as well. Now, what about children? These these mandates you have, you know, in New York, you've got Bill de Blasio mandating kids as young as two years old going to preschool have to wear a mask all day, which is just lunacy because no two-year-old is going to keep a mask on their face all day. Uh, and then they're out uh, at, at indoor events with no masks. So uh, what, what about masking children? Is this something that has to be done? Oh, that is just to me that 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 heartbreaking hypocrisy to not practice what you preach. And no, I I don't think children under age five should have to wear a mask. It's very difficult to have a two-year-old or a toddler wearing a, wearing a mask. Even the World Health Organization says no mask for children under the age of five, and for those uh, over the age of six, between the ages of six and eleven, a mask only if they can tolerate it. But I don't think we should force young two and three-year-olds to wear masks, um, especially if we don't have clear-cut data that um, it's going to have an overall net benefit. Um, so I think that's something that we need to take into consideration. Let's, let's look at the data and the science that we have now. Um, the majority of deaths and cases are in the older population, not in the in the two- and three-year-olds. Um, children, there, you know, it, unfortunately, there has been a few hundred deaths. Um, in the pediatric population, but it's just less than a, a percent uh, compared to the rest of the adult population. So we need to, you know, use common sense, be smart, and, and look at the data and look at the risk versus benefits. Um, what about older children in the classroom? They're, they're making them get vaccinated and they have to wear masks and everything else. As you pointed out, the, they, they may get sick, but they're much less likely to die than the older population. Um, what about herd immunity and the benefit of herd immunity for those kids? Yes, herd immunity can apply to everyone. And again, we need to acknowledge natural infection, herd immunity. Absolutely. Um, And no, we we need to wait for the data on vaccination of the younger population. We don't have that yet. So as of right now, it's it's a no for vaccinating young kids. We need to see what the data shows. And we need to know that there is an overwhelmingly um, positive benefit versus the risk. Um, and if there's an overwhelming positive benefit and, and it's going to be life-changing, that's one thing. But we don't have that data yet. When it comes to older children, you know, kids can get sick. They can pick up COVID. They can transmit the virus. Fortunately, the risk of severe disease and illness in them is low, but it can still happen. And um, if they, especially if they're at high risk, if they have, you know, asthma or, you know, cystic fibrosis or obesity or diabetes, they're at high risk and they we do need to consider consider vaccinating them. Vaccines do save lives, but we need to look at safety, um, efficacy, and overall a benefit versus risk. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of that's not happening. And a lot of these politicians, for instance, Gavin Newsom, who's insisting your child be vaccinated in school, his child's still not vaccinated. One last little piece of good news. Let's end on some good news, shall we? Yes. 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 Uh, New research coming out of George Washington University. Uh, They have a team there that investigated more than 400 COVID patients from hospitals across the United States who were taking aspirin unrelated to their COVID disease. And they found that the treatment reduced the risk 
almost by half of them reaching mechanical ventilation. It reduced the risk by 44%. ICU admissions by 43%. Overall in-hospital mortality by 47%, which is huge. And they said they started this because they realized the connection between blood clots and COVID. And they knew that aspirin is important for that. So they said, said, okay, well, maybe this could be used for uh, COVID-19. So that's great news. And one more thing here, Israeli researchers did a similar study, and this came out in March. They found this out in March, and we've been apparently ignoring it. But they found that um, it can um, help prevent 20% less likely to be infected with COVID in the first place. Yes, and this is really exciting news. Uh, COVID has been associated. I I remember last year we would have 20-something-year-olds suffering from from many strokes because of the inflammation in the blood vessels that COVID causes and it causing blood clots and it causing not only strokes, but heart attacks. And you probably heard of blue toes where it affects the circulation and it can affect the kidneys. Um, So yes, aspirin is, you know, one of our number one miracle drugs to help prevent this uh, inflammation and and this clotting. And um, it's very useful. It's one of probably in addition to insulin, one of our most incredible, amazing, effective medications that we have. And that's why it's a to continue the studies, continued data, continued trials so that we can continue to add um, tools to our arsenal in fighting COVID. You know, we've got a new antiviral coming out. We know to use steroids. We're going to, you know, we have, we know to use zinc and vitamin D. And um, so lots, lots of exciting medicines to help fight um, death and severe illness in COVID. But of course, as always, the number one is prevention and not catching it in the first place. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. We do know that long-term COVID could be um, harmful, you know, as far as long hauler syndrome and long COVID um, for some people down the road. But the good news is we see we have a decline in the number of cases of COVID, decline in hospitalizations, decline in deaths, and we want to keep it like that. Dr. Neshwa, thank you for joining us. Find her on Twitter. Dr. Jeanette, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Mary. Be safe. You too. 866-408-7669. Your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilman. We've been talking about uh, the slowdowns and, and the supply chain issues and how it's only going to get worse. And questioning, are they really this incompetent or is there something more nefarious at work here? And some people have brought that up. Uh, Matthew sent me a note and said, I'm listening now. People aren't driving trucks because we're overworked, underpaid for the hours that we are away from our families and homes. That's just an opinion from a truck driver. And who would know better than a truck driver? Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Let's head to New York, WABC. Andrew, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. We got about a minute and a half. Hi. Hello, Mary. I Hi. To, uh, I wanted to, you know, see if you had any questions about the trucking industry, but I really don't think it's uh, trucks are the problem at the piers. On you know the the big level. Um, the Biden administration going as far as globalists, they're, they're trying to shut us down as Americans. They're trying to starve us out, freeze us out, and products, fuel, and food is 
the way they're going to try to demoralize us to become subservient to them. And, uh, you know, trucking, as far as that goes and, and the peers, it's, it's, you know, truckers are underpaid. You know, there are some well-paid people, medium, low. But as far as the peers go, that's some of the lowest paid trucking there is. Right. Andrew, thank, thank you for that. I'm sorry to cut you off, uh, but we're out of time. But thank you. Thank you for that. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade, taking your calls 866-408-7669, uh, talking about, a lot about the um, the administration and whether they're really this incompetent or whether um, this is something that is being done purposefully. And whether Biden, you know, Biden's just the figurehead and there's the people behind are pulling the strings and telling him, go out, read what's on the teleprompter. And he goes out and he reads what's on the teleprompter. And that's that. Uh, but especially with all of this coming together with parents and critical race theory and, and the mandatory vaccine, uh, you're seeing Americans band together, which, yes, in the past, we were always historically, you know, to, we'll fight amongst ourselves, but if you come after us, like we're all Americans, kind of like a family, you know, like I can smack my brother, but you can't smack my brother. <laughs> you know, one of those types of things. But within the past 10 years or so, you could see divisions purposely being made, dividing us by race, by gender, uh, by religion. There's a hierarchy now that the left has composed, a hierarchy of victimhood. And the higher up you are, the less the less you can be criticized, the more valuable you are. And and they, you know, women were at the top and they kicked women off and and you know in, in favor of, you know, transgender and 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 you know, and they have this hierarchy. So we're all kind of being victimized now equally when you talk about kids in school. Parents are like, hey, it does that cuts across every line, right? When you talk about either getting a vaccine that maybe your doctor's told you you don't need or you question or maybe have a religious exemption to, it's that or not be able to feed your family and keep a roof over your head. People bristle at that. And that goes, again, across races, across genders. That brings people together. Not being able to get goods, going to the grocery store and, you know, having to go to two stores to get a little tiny container, a half and half, because they don't have any of them. Or Brussels sprouts. I could get Brussels sprouts. Uh, 866-408-7669 is the number. Let's head to Ron in Ohio listening on WHIO. Ron, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey. Hello. Yes, go ahead. Hi. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, I just uh, in response to what you're talking about that uh, West Coast problem. Uh, yeah, you got to keep in mind that the trucking industry's been hammered oh for years now and restricted. And a lot of drivers, you know, they only got eight hours they're allowed to drive a day. Period. You know, twenty-four hour period. And the, this, this idea, oh, they can run two two loads. <laughs> Most of the time, they run one load. That's eight hours done. 
But not only yeah. that, you then have to wait at the other side for it to be unloaded. And if we're you're unloading yeah. this, if they have a lot of people out because they fired a bunch of people who wouldn't take okay. the vaccine, or like when I went to the grocery store, they just flat out told us, sorry, it's taking you 20 minutes in line just to put your groceries on the conveyor belt to pay for them, but nobody wants to work. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot more to it than what they're saying. I don't think the left gives a darn. I think this is all their plan. Uh, They they want the they want costs and prices to go up because that means more taxes. The whole bit, you know, truck drivers and the the shipping industry. uh, It starts clear back in China with China increasing the the costs and everything else and. It, it's it's falling right into their hands. Let, let me let me like, ask you a quick dumb, let me ask you a quick possibly dumb question. If it, you are not the first person to say this is being done purposefully, and I'm not beyond a good I am not above a good uh, conspiracy theory. If they're doing it purposely, how does this ultimately work out for them? Because they're no longer dividing Americans. They're they're bringing Americans together against a common enemy, which then is the administration. Well, yeah, I agree with that too. Uh, it's it's causing it's causing people to uh, just from talks I've I've had around here, most people I, I can't stand the administration. Uh, but uh, you got to remember, just like the CCP, their game is a long game always. Uh, that is and, that is a. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry about that, Ron, but uh, I've got a lot of people I want to get on here on the air. But thank you so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show and, and filling us in. So what is the long game? If you believe there's a possibility this is being done purposely, and I think there's a possibility, you know, for all the reasons Ron stated. If they're bringing people together as quickly as they're bringing people together when it comes to being against mandatory vaccines, when it comes to people being against critical race theory or other things that um, are being foisted upon their children in the classroom under the guise of public education, I understand they're going for the long game. But if you bring people together to fight it this quickly, I don't see how they win. In Florida, Chris, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Wow, I really wasn't anticipating that. Um, I got two, two, actually, I got three points that I want to make real fast. First off, you were talking about, is this planned? Well, in California, truckers are not allowed to drive trucks older, I mean, young, you know, older than 2010. And they're refusing to register them. And they're refusing to allow independents to go to the docks. So a third of the truckers can't even do business in California. Right. Right off the bat. Okay. And then the remaining truckers that are going across this great country of ours also are independents. So they don't have to answer to anybody and get injections. So now they're refusing to go into California and New York and the blue states because you have to have the injection to go into the states as a commercial driver. So they choose not to. So now a third of the truckers that are out there are refusing to do business with these states and we as independents get to make lefts and rights. And okay. they're so, a real and, problem with this. Is it isn't that where the majority of the ports are located? Newark, New York, uh, you know, New York, New Jersey, you've got the t- the two big ports in California. Most of the the coastal states are the ones where the big the big See, ports are. Yeah, just hit it on the head. They 
You said, is it planned? Well, California Air Research Board is, is mandating necessities on truckers across the country, regardless of where they live, if they want to do business. And people miss this. People seem to think that there's not enough truckers. There's plenty of truckers. We're just hooking rights and going down south, then making less and going up north. And there's no way we're going out to California because our truck is a 2009. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, it, so Pete Buttigieg, I guess the administration must be super happy with him. He could, They formed a commission. They gave one report just to make it look like they were doing something. And, um, you know, wow, that, that, this, that information to me is blowing my mind right now. <laughs> I appreciate you, you joining us, Chris. Wow. That's crazy. That just digest what he said for a second. That's kind of crazy and scary. Sid in Reno on KDWN. Sid, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. How you doing, Mary? Thank you very much. So, uh, I'm going to agree with Chris um, in regards to that. My brother's a trucker. He's in California, San Pedro and Long Beach Port. Um, I will say this in regards to what he shared with me, that part of the the uh, corroborating, and you say there's a big uh, plan behind this, the, uh, the ports are not allowing the ships to dock. They have to wait out in the middle of the ocean for about 14 days, Right. to make sure that none of their, their people um, have COVID. So meanwhile, if you have all these um, different uh, produce that are coming in on those ships and they're all in the containers, they rot. So they're definitely, they don't have a short of truck drivers. Um, just like Chris said, there's uh, there's restrictions and and again, the, the COVID. So here's the, here's the question I have. So they're they're basically demanding these ships to wait out there with all these um, food in these containers. But what about these people that are coming across the border? Yep. Do they have to wait? And are they vaccinated? Absolutely not. Yep. And that that's the beyond the irony in all this is the you know administration just made a big announcement that they're opening up uh, travel for any reason from Canada and Mexico into the United States, except you have to show proof of vaccination. And that's part of the problem, too. Trucks coming into Canada, uh, coming into the United States from Canada, if they're not vaccinated, they can't come into the United States to, with their load. But yet, if you walk across the southern border, you don't need proof of vaccination. You don't need ID. You don't need proof of anything. And the American taxpayer will put you unvaccinated, possibly carrying diseases, onto a plane or a bus, and you're shipped anywhere in this country you want to go. That the last I thing think... I want to say. Yes. The last thing I want to say. The issue is because of our national Republican rhinos, rhinos, and the spineless Republicans who do not stand up to this tyranny of restrictions. It's against the Constitution in most part. You're going to mandate vaccines for everybody? That's absolutely wrong. And the other thing is I wanted to share real quick in regards to the doctor that uh, that came on earlier. Yes, I appreciate her, yes. Dr. Jeanette, yes. is that uh, really she never talked about people that were vaccinated and died. Because I can tell you right now I have a family member who was vaccinated and yeah. they died. Well, yeah, listen, I think that that happens with any vaccine. But here's my thing. And thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us this morning. Um, here, here's the here's the thing is that 
it's hard because it's a vaccine. We call it a vaccine, but it's a vaccine like the flu vaccine where you can still get the disease. You could still pass it on. So it's hard because they're like, well, we won't let the people, these container ships because we have to make sure no one has, has COVID on board the ship. But if everyone who's working the docks is there insisting that everybody be vaccinated, then you know you're not going to die. You know it's good. We can't. We, somewhere along the line, we have to say that we can't live in fear of contracting COVID. If you're vaccinated, the purpose of getting vaccinated is to protect yourself from death, right? That's why we get vaccinated. Bottom line, not to protect yourself from getting it, not to protect others from you spreading it on. It's to protect you, the individual person, from dying. Okay? And that is going to be, the, the virus is going to be with us forever, It's not going away. You're not going to quote unquote eradicate it. It will be here forever. Will people die from COVID in the future? Mm -hmm. Do people die from the flu? They sure do. But when we call it a vaccine, I think the term for me personally is used very loosely. Uh, because there's no guarantee. It's, it's to me, it's unlike the polio vaccine where I've never had anyone I ever known who, who got the polio vaccine and still got polio. I never heard of anyone at that ever happening to. So I kind of view it personally, and this is my own, you know, you have your, your, your point of view. I view it as more of a therapeutic than a vaccine. It's something to help you prevent getting super sick. Should you get it? You know, like when people take vitamin C so they don't get the flu, that's the way I kind of view it for me personally. You know, and I'm not, again, as far as like the port thing, I'm not saying that it's definitely being done on purpose. Don't, don't misconstrue my words, but I'm open to what people are saying because I'm, I want to know the truth. So I'll listen to all sides and then make my own decision. But if it's not being done purposely, then I have to believe that they're wildly incompetent and have no clue what the heck they're doing on a federal level and a state level. And that sometimes scares me a little bit more than it's being done on purpose. (laughs) 866-408-7669. Something a little different coming up here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Let's quickly go to Jason in Galveston, Texas. Jason, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, thanks. Uh, I'll be quick. Uh, first, we get 14 hours. Uh, we get 11 hours of drive time. And while we're being unloaded, we can go into sleeper berth and freeze our clock. But uh, also, I want to make um, note here that about 15 years ago, remember Hillary Clinton said our job as Democrats is to stall the country that's been happening. Also, uh, uh, Kamala Harris telegraphed that hey, we're going to be we're going to have issues before we even had issues. Now I am a truck driver. I also have a Twit card, which means I go into ports and railroad yards. All of our goods are going overseas. There are plenty of workers. There are plenty of truckers. And I know there's variables on, on in certain states, yeah, okay. But I also know a ship captain for the last 20 years. Um, he had instructions to hold at the outer marker with no excuse on why. And there is uh, there's a lot more ships that are being held out there due to the Democrats really want to stall this nation. And if you put every every single thing that they do with it with the notion of how do we stall this country. 
it's all falling into play. That is their job to stall the country. Wow. That is scary and uh, in a way hopeful for me. And I'll tell you why it's hopeful just because I think that um, if they're successful or as they push and push and push, they overplay their hand. I think they underestimate the American people. I don't think that they saw parents um, coming to school board meetings suddenly and banding together across every racial, ethnic, gender line you could possibly, ideology you can possibly think of because they're fighting for their children. And I just don't think that they saw that coming. So they overplayed their hand even more with Merrick Garland. And um, I am a little bit surprised of the actions of our law enforcement in some of these school board meetings, a little disappointed in them. But um, but I, I think they overplay their hand. I really do, especially with the slowdowns. And you're going to have a very angry, very grumpy populace. And they're not going to turn on each other. They're going to turn on the party in power. I think that's how that's going to work out. Jason, thank you so much. Now, I want to bring on our resident parent, uh, our resident mother, in a good way, Allison, producer here at the Brian Kilmeade Show, executive producer. Allison, how many children do you have? I have three. You have two twins, right? Well, you would have well, two yeah, twins if they are twins. twins. Yeah, one set of twins. Yes. If you have, there would be two of them. That would make sense. I was just testing you. So <laughs> a new study coming out of London found that 2,000 adults with kids under the age of 18, they asked them, um, if they dread the thought of stepping onto an airplane with their children, do you dread the thought of stepping onto an airplane with your three lovely, adorable, beautiful children? Yeah, no, I would not be planning a trip right now with the okay. four-year-old and two 18-month-olds. It's, it's, but, I mean, yeah, no, there's no need. It would not be enjoyable. And those of us who would be on the plane with you, thank you for that. What would you do if, if the uh, airline offered you and your husband a bump up to first class, but you got to leave the kids in coach? Yeah. I mean, given the 18 month olds, that would not work out very well. <laughs> True. Um, so would not do it. Um, I will say though, like what would be even worse, right? Cause 18 months, they can still be on your lap. We got bumped up and brought the 18 month olds with us. Then the rest of the people in first class would really want to kill us. This is very true. Yeah, I got to tell you, my parents, when I heard this, when we were kids, my, my father's family's in Europe still, in, in Germany. And so we would go visit the family every other year. And I can tell you, since I am significantly older than my uh, two younger brothers, my parents would take that gig in a heartbeat. And they would leave me in the back with the two younger ones because they figure, where are they going to go? They're not going to get in trouble. How much trouble can they possibly get in? And uh, that would have been it. It's a contained space. And they're like, there's free alcohol in first class. See? (laughs) Well, for an overseas flight, that's a smart move, I would say. Your brothers were probably older than 18 months. This is very true. This is very true. Well, thank you, Allison. And thank you for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.